Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go and give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to and loving the Tome Show for years, weeks, months, whatever it is, go and give us a rating because that one rating will help us out a ton. It will take less than one minute of your time. In fact, I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read a new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star review comes from listener Johnny Bravo 16 Johnny Bravo 16 says, don't drive home without it. Any extra space on my iPod is devoted to this podcast. The numerous ways the Tome Show team covers all the angles of the RPG community never ceases to amaze me. I know I can always count on them for the best inside info, honest reviews, and access to RPG VIPs. Especially James Intercasso. Not only did he found the roundtable segment, which has grown monumentally over the past 100 episodes, but he also gave me his only good kidney. Now that guy does all the work for the Tome Show while hooked up to a dialysis machine. It's not enough that he's an excellent resource for D&D material with his World Builder blog and all, but he also feeds hundreds of stray possums every day by hand. Finally, I can't write this review and not mention what a good friend he obviously is by introducing us all to his buddies and excellent podcasters in their own right. For example, D&D V&G. But this is just more evidenced by the weekly event known as Intro Mezzos, where James serves his friends tea and homemade desserts in a dress simply because it makes them smile. Thank you to the whole Tome Show crew for all you do. Well, thanks, Johnny Bravo 16. That is factually correct information. You must know me personally to give such an in-depth and heartfelt review. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com, where Out of Print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. My product pick for Noble Knight for this episode is Psionic Power for 4th edition D&D from Wizards of the Coast. As of this recording, it's available for 25 bucks from Noble Knight. We're talking about psionics today, and that got me thinking of the 4th edition Monk class, which was a psionic class. Check out the book to give your 4E scions, battle minds, ardents, and monks a boost with new feats, subclasses, items, and more. Get it now at noblenight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? 
in this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality discounted gaming products as possible, or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016, you should support the store that lets you do it all. Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out-of-print, all at a price you'll love. And yes, they'll buy your old gaming products as well. Check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. Tell them the Tome Show sent you and help make gaming great again. Today, we're talking about the latest Unearthed Arcana article, which updates the Psionic Mystic class. And then it's an interview with the Four Horsemen to see what your favorite D&D and Pathfinder designers are up to. Spoiler alert, they're doing a ton of stuff. Let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Would you rather have telekinetic powers or telepathic powers? Andrew Kane, let's start with you. Uh, hey, hey, I would definitely go with, uh, I thought long and hard about this. Uh, I think I'd go with telekinetic powers. Uh, just be fun to move things with your mind. You know, someone throws something at you and you just catch it, but not really catch it. Things like that. It would be fun. And you can play lots of pranks on people, which is... Right up in my wheelhouse. <laughs> it's the, the number one use of telepathic power, or uh, <laughs> telekinetic powers, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, and uh, Andrew Timez is here with us. Andrew Timez, would you rather have telekinesis or telepathy? I'm going to go with uh, telepathy here because I don't want to be stuck doing jobs that robots can do. <laughs> <laughs> well well said well said uh and uh barrack blackburn is here barrack uh what would you rather have i would go with tk tele telekinesis nice and why is that um i feel like telepathy is a, a very slippery slope to the dark side <laughs> it's true. i feel like there's way too much temptation to to do things with it so i would remove that temptation and i could fly so i'd be good so <laughs> are you saying that if you were a telepath you would eventually become like the purple man i i can't i like i said i feel that temptation is too much you know you want to know something you know it and it sort of takes away from that social interaction when you can can do stuff mm-hmm. like that so i just feel that i'd rather do other cool things so Nice, nice. Well, uh, new to the roundtable, but certainly not to the Tome Show podcast, and he will be appearing later as one of the four horsemen, uh, is Dan Dillon. Dan, welcome to the roundtable. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, Dan, if you want to give people a a brief rundown of your qualifications, uh, you know, we always do that with our new panelists, so I'm sure Sure. they may have heard you on the Gamer to Gamer podcast before, uh, but just in case, you want to let them know, and then let us know uh, telekinesis or telepathy. Sure. Uh, Well, about me, just in the broad strokes. Um, So I'm a game designer and a little bit of a developer as well. Uh, I've been doing this for the past few years now as a member of the Four Horsemen Freelance Writing Collective. Most of our work has been for Pathfinder, although recently uh, I've, I've been expanding into fifth edition heavily. Uh, that is that that is certainly uh, that is my thing now. Um, I've done a lot of work with uh, Cobalt Press, uh, with Legendary Games, uh, with Playground Adventures. Now starting to work with Zombie Sky Press on their Fairy Ring Kickstarter. So uh, I'm I'm trying to get out there and uh, and and do some good work for Fifth Edition. Awesome. Well, it is excellent to have you on the show. Would you Great. rather have telekinesis or telepathy? Well, my favorite part of this is there is absolutely no wrong answer because both <laughs> of those would be completely awesome. Um, 
but uh, I'm going to have to go with telepathy. Uh, basically, before I uh, became a stay-at-home dad and then got into the to the writing, uh, I was a psychologist. So oh. human behavior, motivation, what makes people tick, you know, why do people think and act the way they do and what gets screwed up behind the scenes and, and jacks with people's lives – uh, that is that is so fascinating to me, and to be able to get into that and literally see it and feel it and understand it and you know manipulate or fix it, that can't pass that up. However, Barrick hit the nail on the head. That is there is so much potential for blackness there. Uh, and one of the things I've been saying recently is that Dan is not allowed to have superpowers because he would not be responsible with them. So I would pick telepathy. Do not give it to me. <laughs> uh, that is excellent. That is excellent. I imagine it would also help in your duties as a father. Uh, if you, uh, yeah, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have assembled a wonderful panel to talk about the mystic uh, class, which is the psionic class that has put, been put out in the Unearth Arcana series of articles, which again is sort of, playtest-ready material from Wizards of the Coast about stuff they're thinking about maybe publishing at some point down the line. This is an update. Uh, the last time this class was out uh, the, was the first time we saw it, and we talked to Andrew, Andrew, and Barrick. Uh, we have them back, and we brought Dan in as well to talk about it. Uh, this time, the class goes all the way to 10, uh, so we're going all the way up to 10th level. Um, uh, they claim psionics is more flexible here. Uh, you, ha you get a focus uh, which allows you to pick a discipline and you gain a constant special benefit from it. And then otherwise you can learn, uh, you know, psionic powers from any discipline, you know, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, it sort of makes it a little more like spell casting in the wizard. You know, you specialize in one school, but you have access to spells from all the other schools. Um, you now have uh, psionic talents, which are the equivalent of cantrips and uh, psionic disciplines are now available to all mystics regardless of all order. We talked about that already. Um, so essentially they have made the class a little bit more uh, like a spellcaster, which I am guessing is based on a lot of the uh, the feedback that's there. It's still not straight up spellcasting. You still have points to spend. Um, and, you know, that there are definitely flavors to these powers that separate them from a lot of spells. But I want to, before we get into the various orders, which are kind of the subclasses for the mystic i want to see what do you guys think of the mystic class overall and uh why don't we start with you eric uh well I, as i mentioned the first time the name still throws me i the name <laughs> mystic in no way shape or form mm -hmm. says uh scion to me and and considering that one of the design goals of fifth edition really seemed to be sort of a return to the to the edition you love um you, you had names for these things. There was a psychic warrior. There was the psionicist. There were like I, I really don't understand. And they actually there were mystics in various iterations of D and D, and they had nothing to do with psionics. So that's just my my introduction to it. Um, I I think it's all over the place. I think you have sort of your crouching tiger, hidden dragon kind of monk, like uh you know mystic that you could have, and then you have the sort of mind kind of you know, not control, but sort of mind mess with mystic. Um, I, you know, I, I crunch some of the numbers on things, uh, and, and we can talk more about them. Uh, I, it's interesting. I, 
I personally liked the way fourth edition handled stuff like uh, when you control someone else's mind and what that means in terms of like, you know, it was very concrete. It says you can do this and you can do this. Um, so we can get down to the specifics of that. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I would, I would really want to see it sort of in play to see how it compared to other spell casting type classes or compared to a monk. Uh, you know, cause that's what I feel you, you have here. You have a spell caster and you have a, a basically a monk. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty, uh, good assessment of the overall capabilities of the class. I agree with you a hundred percent about the name. Please just call it a scion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it would make it clear up everything. Uh, well, and, and, I, and I didn't, the, the, the source of power, like I read that the sort of otherworldly power and I was like, some of this is cool, but like it, it, it didn't make sense with everything we know about Sionics from every previous iteration. You know, mm-hmm. like it, some of it was there, but that also felt off to me. Uh, Dan, what did you think about the class? Certainly for the second take, I feel like it's uh, it's an improvement over their first draft. And and not, not just even the fact that it's got expanded level range. Um, I, I think they took some of the problematic issues I had with the first one and, and fixed them. Not to say that there aren't a couple wrinkles here and there, but I think it's a, it's a solid second draft. It's, it's an upgrade. Uh, I don't have the same problem with the name Mystic that other people seem to have. Uh, so, you know, I guess good for me. Um, <laughs> uh, overall, I like the feel of it. Uh, I feel like it gets back a little bit to the second edition psionicists as opposed to third editions who really just felt like a spell point using spellcaster instead of spell slots. Um, given the way that the uh, the disciplines work uh, in this write-up, um, I'm happy with the basic structure of what they're showing us so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the split focus between the more spellcastery awakened order and then the the much more martial immortal. Yeah, yeah. And I do have to say, I think if if people's biggest gripe is the name of the class, they're probably doing pretty well. Yeah, that's fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And yeah, I agree. I agree that this is definitely a better improvement. This looks like something I would actually want to play, you know, and I do think they're using the subclass well here to sort of break down what would essentially be like a scion on one side and a battle mind on the other in old school uh, parlance. Um, So it is, it is kind of cool to, uh, to see this expanded and especially with the expanded level range as well. I really like to, uh, to see that. Uh, Andrew Kane, what did you think of the class overall? Uh, I'm going to agree with what was said previously and that it's definitely an improvement uh, in a lot of different ways. I I also, as previously, do do not like the name. Um, Most, (laughs) I feel like the name Mystic, especially now that they've gone more into like the connection to the Far Realm and Mm -hmm. Zoriat and all of that, I think, you know, kind of they're trying to connect it to that, but then... I think it doesn't connect as closely with psionics and the ability. And then it was confusing reading it because they're talking about psionics. And I kept thinking of psionics as an individual, as opposed to like, they're referring to the abilities. Mm. Um, So it just, it led to a little more confusion for me, but you know, maybe not everyone has my reading comprehension problem. So (laughs) again, uh, you know, we're probably splitting hairs a little bit on that. Uh, overall, I think I do think it's an improvement. I think they're definitely building it out into um, some pretty, pretty interesting and cool directions. Mm-hmm. I think um, kind of along with what Barrick said, I can kind of see a lot of this stuff, though, uh, being kind of applied or existing within already, already out there classes, you know, kind of like this, 
you know, almost otherworldly monk or whatever. And so I think that's still, for me, kind of a, a drawback almost in that I could kind of see just taking little bits and pieces, which I guess you could do with a multi-class, but kind of some of this stuff are almost already existing in certain ways in other classes. And so I, I'm still kind of, it hasn't drawn me in like, like I want it to yet, but it's definitely, it's very interesting and I'm excited to see kind of where it continues to go. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Andrew Timez, I can't wait to get your take on this because I know you love playing, uh, classes with weird powers. Um, so, uh, what is your take on the mystic overall in this new iteration? It's, it's kind of funny because I looked at this and I was like, Hmm, this, this has interesting concepts. I can't see myself personally playing it. Um, unless I've found a way to mix in some multi-class things in, but I feel like the flavor of the class in particular is kind of strange for all the, the thematic guys. You, for all the thematic reasons that you guys have already mentioned, you know, the, the fact that it is the class in D and D fifth ed that is centered around psionics. And yet it's not called psionics, but yet the core mechanic is called psionics. So you can't really, uh, at, at that point, you can't really justify having another class that draws from that power base mm-hmm. uh, because you've already said, no, this is that psionics belongs to the mystics and that's it with, Wizards and sorcerers and other classes that draw from similar power sources, they're not, the names of their powers and the descriptions are not so tightly linked with the source of power that they draw from that it's, that it's that much of an issue. But it seems like on the one hand, the description of the otherworldly power kind of links it very, very closely to uh, where a certain subset of warlocks would get their power. But at the same time, there isn't really any room for another class to come along later and sort of share that flavor because because they've tied it so they've tied that class so tightly to psionic power. Gotcha. So, uh, would you prefer to see sort of uh, uh, a breakdown of classes like you mentioned? Um, you know, the the bard, the warlock, the sorcerer, the wizard all sort of draw arcane power from different sources, right? You know, the wizard studies a book, the sorcerer is born with it, the warlock makes this pact, the bard is so good at performing, he becomes magical. Um, you know, is that what you would rather see? Uh, you would rather see different classes rather than have all psionic powers under the mystic? Yeah, I think that limits them less going forward. Uh, if they decide, if they publish the Mystic and everyone likes it, and they're like, "All right, let's let's publish another class." And I'm kind of stuck in the fourth ed mindset of divine power source, arcane power source, uh, so on and so forth. But uh, I would like to see them kind of split this up and decouple the concept of the class and the names of the powers from the psionic power source in general. So am I the only one who, when I was reading this class, was like, ooh, yeah, I would play this. <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm the odd man out. No, no, I see a lot of potential in this. Uh, <laughs> ah, I just really wanted to thought spear someone. <laughs> uh, so, well, let's get into, uh, let's get into, uh, you know, the nitty gritty details here and let's talk a little bit then about the, the various, um, the, the psionic uh, orders, the mystic orders, the order of the awakened is the one we could start with. You know, uh, we talked a little bit about this one. It's, uh, 
it's the it's what you think of when you think of psionics. You know, this is a person uh, who psionics is their sort of main go-to power and they're thought-spearing people and mind-thrusting people and they're using their their mind to control others and move things and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Dan, let's start with you because you're in agreement with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How'd you feel about the Order of the Awakened? Um... Man, uh, so I'm a little bit torn. Uh, it's it, it's awesome as mm-hmm. presented to us right here. I mean, it is crazy awesome. And some of these things are going to need some sanding because of that awesomeness. Um, <laughs> a little too it, awesome, it is, you might it say. It is versatile as anything I have seen in D&D. Uh, I mean, it is just crazy. Um, given their uh, just their, their ability to take all of the extra skill proficiencies, um, Mm-hmm. From uh, from awakened expertise, yeah. At level one, they get two extra skill proficiencies and an expertise. That's that's awesome. Uh, and then one of their, you know, you talked about the psychic focus earlier. One of their their psychic focus um, from the disciplines is the mind vault, which just lets them pick a proficiency anytime they like. Basically, <laughs> now that that is not you know exclusive to the awakened, but when you couple that with their two skills they get at base. The two skills they pick off of anything, not off of their own class list, mm-hmm. uh, plus an expertise, and you know, plus two skills from a background, and then if uh, anytime they're focused, they can spend a bonus action and take a proficiency in anything, any skill, any tool, any weapon or armor or shield. So uh, they have an incredible amount of versatility. Is it too much? Uh, hard to say. Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I like the versatility of them. It's it's uh, it's pretty astounding. You can build a guy that will fit just about any concept, and it has that whole um, y- you know you can't pigeonhole an awakened mystic. You know this is what a sorcerer is good at. This is what a warlock is good at. An awakened mystic, you never know. Their mind grows in strange ways, and and who knows what talents they're going to manifest. Yeah, it's almost, um, you know, in, in going through it, I was like, I wonder if you could build a party of all awakened mystics. I think you could. I think you, <laughs> you very much could. Right, right, uh, yeah. Specifically because you can, you know, swap that expertise around to cover different roles. You know, one guy can, oh, you need to pick a lock? That's all right. Give me a second. Okay, now I know how to use Thieves' Tools. They're also a little bit of a mystery buster, it looks like. The psionic investigation ability is uh, possibly crazy good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Their yeah. ability to just know everything that happened within the last 24 hours around an object. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think uh, the last podcast we had, we talked at length about how that would drive, uh, you know, that in the wrong hands of the wrong player uh, <laughs> could really drive a DM crazy because they might just be doing it to every single object. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think they I think they upped the time it takes to do. I'd have to go back and look mm-hmm. at the first draft again, but it takes 10 minutes now. So it's like a ritual. So that's a little bit more of a, of a kibosh on just, you know, pulling psychometric impressions off of everything you touch. But you know, you know, something happened in this room. Well, you get to see everything that happened for the past 24 hours. So writing mysteries is going to be extremely difficult if they're awakened, spooking around. Right. Right. Yeah, it really is. And you don't want to, you know, you never want to take the cheap DM road of like, well, it doesn't work in this room because right, it's shielded right, right, against. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and did, did it before have the, the uh, Spidey Sense tracker on it as well? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember. That one That one is super cool. Uh, again, it is it also- cool, but that's, I mean, it's also like that, you know, I, I, you know, put a coin in his pocket. Now I can find the bad guy wherever he goes. <laughs> sure, but I'm okay with that because you've got to be in the bad guy's presence and you have to take the steps to get the coin into his pocket or you have sure. to, you know, shoot your arrow into the tower and then you can see from the perspective of the arrow for the next day. Um, that, that sort of thing. Uh, it's not like normal scrying where you can just fling it out wherever. Andrew Kane, uh, what did you think of The Order of the Awakened? Uh, I thought it was cool. I particularly honed in on the psionic investigation uh, feature because I was fascinated by it. Um, obviously, there is the, you know, you, if you want to be able to fully activate it, you need the 10 minutes, um, which is good because if you could just kind of do it, I mean, you could bust open a lot of different situations, um, yes. including like I think about it because... I guess it says if you hold an object, but I was thinking about like, if you had 10 minutes, if you could touch something, you know, what's on the other side of this door, you know, you concentrate on it and then you can see what, you know, and hear the people on the, it's just, I, I'm fascinated by not only the seeing, but the hearing and how that could be, um, really cool, but also really, um, Really annoying, as you noted, particularly <laughs> if there's someone who they're like, okay, now I hold this thing. Now I hold this thing. Um, yeah. But overall, I thought it was um, I, I'm, I, the uh, Order of the Awaken was very intriguing to me because I think it's uh, I always like a uh, something where you can go in a lot of different directions, depending on how you want to play the character and what you want to mm-hmm. do with it. And um, and how you could combine it with other things, obviously, since this right now only goes to 10th level. If someone wanted to play it, they might, they're probably multi-classing, et cetera. It would be interesting to see how they leverage these abilities combined with, with another class or something like that. I definitely think there's a lot of really cool features to play around with. And you can really make yourself kind of powerful in a lot of, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, you absolutely can make yourself powerful in a lot of different ways. Uh, Andrew Timez, uh, last time you were on this podcast, uh, I believe you declared the Order of the Awakened OP. Uh, what are your feelings on this revamped version? Uh, that's funny because I was just thinking about, uh, huh, I wonder what I thought about these classes last time around. I have <laughs> no idea. Um, so to answer, I think it was Dan earlier, the psionic investigation uh, feature, I think, is pretty much word for word replication of the object reading feature from last time. I can uh, confirm that. I just dug up the old document and it is indeed (laughs) word for word. So, so my, my concerns about it being a mystery buster stand. (laughs) (laughs) I was mostly looking at these classes uh, from the perspective of, you know, what's changed, what's been revised from the first time to the second time. Cause I unfortunately didn't have enough time to read through the whole thing and get the, uh, get my impression as of it as a cohesive piece. I was just kind of like, Oh, these are the, these are the new bits. And I think one of the things that struck me was the diversification of the disciplines. And I know this isn't really specific to order of the awakened. The fact that, you know, the choosing order of the awakened gives you these two psionic disciplines uh, I guess it's mind meld and thought spear for awakened, and then you can pick pretty much any of the rest of them as long as you meet the level of requirement. 
Uh, I thought that mechanics-wise, it makes the class a lot stronger because you can pick and choose the abilities that synergize with each other, although I'm not sure there are really any, at, at least with the materials that exist now, I'm not sure if there's really anything that synergizes really well across the Awakened Immortal split. Um, but I think it kind of diluted it flavor-wise that instead of having a very distinct Batman-esque Order of the Awakened who can solve any mystery you throw at him, and then that comes with powers specifically geared towards uh, mental interaction with enemies for combat purposes, uh, the fact that that's kind of decoupled now into, well, if, if you're playing the Awakened, you probably should take the, the more mental-based disciplines, but you're not locked into it. That that just kind of felt like an underwhelming decision to me. But uh, then again, I know the last time they published, the, or the first time they published, rather, the, uh, the Mystic class, they were talking about writing up a third uh, order that yeah, yeah, four, two other orders. I, I right? think there's two more. Yeah, there's two more in the works. Order of the knife, the blade, the, the invisible hand, and the 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 blade, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I think right now that felt like a, a very strange choice to me. But I think once all four of those are out, and you can kind of mix and match between, all right, I can have the order of the awakened, uh, you know, Batman features, and then at the same time take more. Offensive, offensively focused disciplines from Order of the Knife. I think that might be cool. As it stands right now, I, I can't really say. Um, One thing to keep in mind, too, is that with the uh, the Mystic Recovery feature, you are definitely rewarded for using disciplines that uh, are associated with your order. So that'll, that'll kind of help keep things uh, split one to the other, perhaps. And Mystic Recovery is a pretty huge thing to just... Uh, you know, you regain hit points, right? You get your intelligence modifier and hit points back if you're at half hit HP or less every time you use an order discipline that, that synergizes with your order. Yeah. So that's that's kind of huge. It is. It is. That's, that's huge. And it is an awesome ability, too. You know, it is going to be interesting to see because everything is under this mystic banner. Uh, you know, I remember from the, the old 3X days, right? You could be a... Soul Knife, Scion, Battle Mind, uh, if you wanted to, uh, and that's kind of kind of put a kibosh on that. Uh, if it's all under one class, you won't have the ability to to multi-class like that. That's a good point. And I wonder if that has something to do with it that maybe they don't want you to multi-class in such a way between psionic classes. Uh, Barak, uh, I'm interested to hear what you think about the Order of the Awakened. I will piggyback upon what people said. I I think uh, the if you compare the two orders, now the Mystic Recovery is cool. So if you want to go for sort of that martial type thing, the Mystic Recovery, you're like, oh, regaining hit points, cool. But there is nothing near the power level of the Psionic Investigation under Order of the Immortal. Like, look what they get at third level. Oh, uh, I gain temporary hit points equal to my intelligence modifier, provided that I – like, that is not at all the same as Psionic Investigation, which is – uh, uh, in my opinion, incredibly front loaded and overpowered because once you get it, 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 it doesn't get better. It's just, you have it. It's a power it's innate within you and you can do it. 
you know, I think the Awakened is is neat, and you know, you could do lots of different things with it, and you know, certainly the Mystic Recovery would you know force you to to go down a certain type of path, but you wouldn't have to. You could do something else, and I'm sure we've all seen players who find that sort of sweet spot of like, yeah, I don't have this, but I'm compensating in these other ways. Um, and I, I don't see anything, you know, when you look at all the extra skills you get and all the stuff there and the extra talents, like the, the order of the awakened seems the no brainer. If you compare the two. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. The order of the awakened was the one that, that really got me, uh, pretty excited. And I do think, you know, we, we've been talking about how good the abilities are, uh, for the order of the awakened, um, and maybe too good. Uh, you know, I think now is the time to, to start playtesting it and, and see how does it measure up, uh, when it's in a, with other classes, does it start replacing all of them or, or does it do one thing better than, you know, is it better than the wizard and the rogue when it's in there? Um, so it'll, it'll be kind of cool to, uh, to get this order of the awakened to play test. And then of course there's this other order, the order of the immortal. Uh, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think of that. As we've mentioned, that's more the, the martially focused path, I should say, psychic warrior as it were. Uh, Andrew Kane, what did you think of the order of the immortal? Uh, I really liked the name. I think it sounds cool. Uh, and that's about where my interest in it ended. Um, only because, uh, going along with what Barrett just said, when you compare the Order of the Awakened to the Order of the Immortal, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, the, the Order of the Awakened just seemed more intriguing. The ability is what they can do, etc. It just resonated more with me. Um, not that I don't think you could do cool stuff, particularly if you're more martial focused you know the stuff that you get the proficiency and uh the weapons and the heavy armor and shields and stuff and regaining hit points with the surge of health i I see how that could work if you're kind of just in the middle of battle trying to trying to deal damage but i don't know it didn't seem as unique to me um you know like the cutting resident resonance the ability to add psychic energy to your attacks is cool but i feel like there are a lot of maybe not a lot but there are other classes where there's a similar ability. You know, I, in a game, I'm playing a Tempest cleric where I can do thunder lightning damage with my weapon attacks. You know, it's, it doesn't seem as interesting or different as the order of the awakened did. I also thought, and this is just nitpicky. I thought it was weird also that cutting resonance is like the only thing in this whole document that goes beyond 10th level. Um, they just mentioned when you reach 14th level, the extra damage increases. I mean, I, I guess it makes sense, but I just thought it was weird that nothing else really, moves beyond that 10th level piece and then that's just kind of tossed in there yeah that was uh that was really interesting to see and i also wonder too about this class like you know a lot of martially focused classes get that extra attack at uh at fifth level and i'm guessing because you get so many sweet sweet psionic points um, you know, you're, you're not necessarily getting that the same way a Tempest cleric doesn't. So, you know, um, so I do think, right, the focus is still kind of on what you can do with the powers here. Sure. Uh, in addition to, you know, in, enhancing your, your martial body. Um, so it is, uh, yeah, again, uh, I feel like the last time we were here and we were talking about it, it seemed like people were really impressed with the Awakened and not as impressed with the Order of the Immortal. Uh, Andrew Tim, as you feel in the same way? Again, it's it's harder to make the comparison since uh, the line between them has been blurred a little bit. Uh, the thing that I noticed was that 
The feature that in the new version is called psionic resilience. I think in the old one, it was called psionic regeneration. Uh, the old feature was at the end of your turn, if you're current, if you have less than half of your max hit points, you regain hit points equal to half your mystic level. Uh, whereas with psionic resilience in the new version, uh, at the start of each of your turns, no matter what, you gain temporary hit points equal to your intelligence modifier, as long as you have at least one hit point. Uh, and I thought that combined with uh, Mystical Recovery make a very, very resilient character in combat. Here, here. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it also makes that that particular feature in the new version is a lot more attractive for purposes of multi-classing, because you get the static int mod that just stays the same from level 1 through 20, as opposed to the psionic re- regeneration, where if you're multi-classing in and you're just dipping in for two or three levels, it doesn't it doesn't justify uh, picking it up. But at the same time, the I guess the way they counterbalanced that was they realized, okay, psionic resilience, as it existed in the first version, paired with uh, mystical recovery... Get, would probably be too strong at high levels, so they kind of capped it. Instead of going up to 10 with Psionic Regeneration, if you had a 28th level Mystic, instead now you just get your int mod, which is probably going to max out at half that. But uh, the fact that it doesn't matter what your current hit points are, I think ultimately it's a almost strict upgrade. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of the combination of those abilities, uh, but you are you are definitely pointing out something that is pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Barrack, what did you think of the Order of the Immortal? Um, I I think it's neat. I I don't see any of the like psionic resilience is cool. Surge of health is pretty limited. Uh, it, it reads cool, but it's, uh, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. So it's kind of like a one shot deal. Um, cutting resonance, like 1d8 damage. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, I guess that's pretty good, you know, but uh, the awaken gets, uh, add your intelligence modifier to any damage you deal with any psionic talent, which is, you know, kind of cool too. Cause they can do that. Uh, what is it? The, the mind bolt or whatever it's called. Um, it seems neat. It seems a little bit all over the place. It seems kind of uh, they want to do something, but they don't want to step on the toes of other things. So they're they're kind of like playing around with what it's going to be. Um, I think it could be a little bit beefier to compete with the Awakened. And, and I, as with anything, I would be interested to see how it, it holds up. You know, if you have other fighter types in the party, how uh, an Immortal would hold up. Because I could definitely see that sort of the immortal can keep going with this sort of the, the sonic resilience and the mystical recovery. They can sort of keep going in battle and that's kind of cool, but you know, would they be as effective as, as other fighter types, other martial types? So it's, it's neat. I, 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 I wish there was a little bit more to it and yeah. I, I could, I could easily see people being like, yeah, I'll take it up to third level and I'm good. <laughs> I feel like uh I feel like we need to play test. Um that's that's where what I feel like I'm hearing it's like oh you know we kind of need to see these things in action to to really know now which is uh, a good place to be. Uh Dan Dillon, I can hear you chomping at the bit over there. <laughs> I I know you you want to talk about the order of the immortal and I am guessing you have some positive things to say. 
I yeah yeah you're exactly right. I'm going to dissent a little bit. I think the Order of the Immortal is awesome. Um, the uh, <laughs> being able to to rock all the heavy armor and shields right off the bat, uh, psionic resilience. I mean, let's look at that. This class gets the heroism spell for free all the time. Mm. That is crazy good. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever adventured with heroism cast on you. I suggest it. It's, it's great. <laughs> I mean, so once you hit about mid-level, you could probably, you know, expect this guy to have a decent intelligence. I mean, imagine if you have, what, an 18, so you have a plus four. That's cutting four damage off of every damage you're taking every round, uh, off of the damage you take every round. The, I mean, that's, that stacks up. That is significant. And so, yeah, to, to echo what, uh, what Mr. Timmis said, uh, coupling that with uh, Mystical Recovery is going to make you extremely durable when you take into the account that he's going to have heavy armor. He's probably going to be using a shield. Uh, and, and then, you know, he doesn't get the extra attack, but what he does get to make up for that is the, uh, what is it called? The psionic weapon discipline, which has lethal strike, <laughs> which is basically paladin smite, but better. Um, it's a larger damage die and scales up faster than, uh, than a paladin's uh, smite scales up. So it's D10 psychic damage, and you can spend up to five side points on it, and each side point is another D10. So they can lay down some serious burst, <laughs> coupling that with if you don't want to roll to hit against what you're swinging at, you can use Ethereal Weapon for another point to make it a dex save instead. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the Immortal. Uh, now, the... The uh, the psychic investigation may just be too good, and, and that's something that's come <laughs> up before. I, I don't think you need to beef up the Immortal to compete with the Awakened. I think you need to look at what you're giving the Awakened, uh, as Beric was saying, at level three, which is just full bore. You get it, and you're good, right? Right. <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, it's, a, it's a little much. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think psionic investigation in the hands of a clever player or group of players is just, it, it has like campaign breaking potential across the board. <laughs> oh, very, very much so. Yeah. 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 yeah <laughs> but no, it's... I like, I like the immortal very much. I think it's got some serious potential. I mean, if you want to do your psionic warrior, this is the cure for what ails you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I do think, uh, uh, on that psionic investigation spell, that is the, you know, at, at higher levels, your players start to get spells, where you as a DM might say, that spell can do what? Uh, and yeah. it feels like it's that spell, but way earlier in the game than you're used to, <laughs> to hearing about it. Uh, you know, that is a, some great points about the Order of the Immortal. You guys are starting to get me excited about this one, too. As Mr. Timmes has just pointed out in our Skype chat, uh, the heavy armor is actually new for, uh, for the Order of the Immortal. And so if you combine the, the heavy armor mastery feat with this, right? Um, then you've got even better damage reduction. Uh, Which is huge. Yeah. I mean, Heavy Armor Master is completely awesome. Oh, totally. To and you're talking about a frontline fighter getting, you know, uh, like uh, DR8, basically, uh, whenever they yeah. hit with the weapon. <laughs> well, one thing I'd like to say about their power structure is, um, I think in, the, in third edition, the Scions, I said before, they felt a, a lot like just kind of a slightly variant spellcaster. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had their manifestations and they went up by levels and, and, and that whole thing. Um, in this one, the psychic, the psionic powers feel like they sort of build out instead of up. So you get a lot of versatility and, and they do get, you know, more powerful as you go up in level because you can use some of the, the higher tier abilities that you didn't have access to before. But it doesn't really keep going 
the way that spellcasting does. But what it does do is give you just a breadth of things you can do. So uh, the class is, even within its individual focus of being more castery and, and skilled and investigative versus, uh, you know, just a freaking brick, um, it gives them a lot of options uh, as they pick up more disciplines. I'm excited to see this. I'm excited to see the, the other orders as well. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, we want to hear what everybody out there has to say. So please, please come hit us up over at thetomeshow.com in the show notes for this episode or at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Let us know what you think and make sure you're keeping your eye on the uh, wizard site for when the survey uh, for this Unearthed Arcana article comes out so that you can provide your feedback to Wizards uh, because they're taking in all that feedback and they seem to be doing a great job with 5th edition so far. All right, well, now uh, it is time to roll our interview with the four horsemen, Stephen Helt, Stephen Rowe, Dan Dillon again, and Tim Hitchcock. Uh, they're putting out tons of products every month, and they're working on some of your favorite D&D and Pathfinder products like the Tome of Beasts, Playground Adventures, and Legendary Planet. Okay, everybody, I have the honor of being here with the Four Horsemen today, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Welcome to the roundtable, you guys. How is everybody? Fantastic. We're doing awesome. great, Thanks. <laughs> All right, good, good. I was hoping that would happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, of course, uh, I would love for the audience out there to get to know you. Um, and we have some recurring people who have been on the Tome Show podcast before. Then we've got some new people, too. So why don't we start with Mr. Famine himself, Stephen Helt. Stephen, welcome to the roundtable today. It's so good to be back. Thank you very much, James. And, Stephen, for the people out there who may not have heard your other appearances on this podcast, what are some of the things you've worked on? Uh, well, I won uh, RPG Superstar in 2013, and the product associated with that that I won with is uh, an adventure called Tears at Bitter Manor. So that's by Paizo Publishing. Uh, and then I've done several other bits of work for publishing or for Paizo now. I'm on their core rules team, so I write with uh, the hardback books now. Uh, so the new next one of those that come out is Ultimate Entry. comes out here in a little while, and so that'll be really nice. Uh, and then uh, just released, uh, I think today is whenever we've done all the marketing work, is Cobalt Press's Advanced Races Compendium, uh, which is fantastic. It's my first product as a lead developer on a big hardbound book, and uh, all of us had to do some, some design work on it, or the, uh, me, Dan, and Steve Rowe, and uh, it's fantastic. It's out now, and uh, we're just we were just celebrating the art and having a great time with it. Excellent, excellent, and that is fantastic. So uh, I am excited to hear more about that. Uh, and why don't we uh, throw it over to another person who has been on the Tome Show podcast feed quite recently, Dan Dillon. Dan, welcome to the roundtable today. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Of course. You guys are welcome anytime. And uh, Dan, why don't you let the people out there know a few of your credits? Sure. Um, well, as Steve was just saying, I also worked on the uh, the Advanced Races Compendium. Um, we've got, uh, let's see, the Construct Companion, a lot of, a lot of books through Rogue Genius Games, some of the Gruesome Templates line. Um, recently here, I've been branching out more into 5th edition D&D work. So uh, most of that's been through uh, Cobalt Press. So I've got uh, development credit on the Southlands Heroes. I wrote Midgard Heroes, uh, converted the Raven's Call adventure from Pathfinder to 5e, and just today actually released the adventure that I wrote for Gen Con 2015, uh, Last Gasp, and that's available now, 5th edition adventure. 
Also doing a lot of work for uh, Legendary Games. I'm doing 5e conversion for the Legendary Planet Adventure Path, and that's been a blast so far. Looking forward to the next installment of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, all of those things are really, really great products. Uh, as a fifth edition buff myself, I love everything that you're putting out there. So thanks. thanks appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Stephen Rowe is Hello. also here with us. Pestilence, welcome <laughs> to the roundtable. Uh, so, Stephen, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself and some of the credits that you've done as this is your maiden voyage on the Tome Show podcast? Uh, sure. Well, I'm, I'm the youngest person on the team. Uh, I've been working oh, on this since, sure. <laughs> <laughs> since, since, uh, since Steve run RPG Superstar kind of drew me in. Um, I, I just enjoy working with my friends, uh, and writing in general is just a, a, a big joy to me. And it would be my hobby, even if I wasn't doing it, you know, semi-professionally. Uh, so as far as credits go, I, I have done a lot of work for the Four Horsemen, obviously. A lot of design, development, editing. Uh, I do a lot of work for Playground Adventures, uh, BJ Hensley's company. Uh, so it includes uh, Pixies on Parade, which is the adventure I wrote. Then I've done design and development work on other products that she's put out, like uh, Gumbo and A Friend in Need. I'm doing a lot of other work for various companies. Uh, I'm involved in the Fairy Ring, uh, writing various mini adventures for them. I've got a mega dungeon coming out from Gaming Paper. Uh, and... Uh, Rogue Genius Games just recently asked me to pick up the Talented Classes line, so I'm really excited about getting to work on those. Wow, that's awesome. You are a busy guy. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and those are definitely some, some cool products. Fairy Ring was, was super huge. Uh, that Kickstarter was quite hot when it was going on, so uh, excited to see what comes out of that for you. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it so far. You know, Stephen, the last time we had you on here, uh, you had said you were you were looking for uh, war to fill out your ranks. You had, you know, famine, pestilence, and death, uh, and mm -hmm. and now you were looking for your war horseman. Well, it's exciting because your war horseman is here with us today, and it is Tim freaking Hitchcock. Tim, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, so, Tim, what are a few of your credits uh, that people might know? I've done a bunch of adventures for Pathfinder, so like, you know, APs and stuff like that. What uh, Hungry Are the Dead, Carnival of Tears, when Pathfinder first came out. I used to write stuff for Dragon Magazine years ago. I've worked on a bunch of the core books, Pathfinders, all sorts of Pathfinder stuff. Oh, like, yeah, Ruby Phoenix Tournament, I don't know, a bunch of things. <laughs> <laughs> A lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, the list goes on and on. Uh, so it is really, really awesome to have you uh, joining this already freaking stellar team. So uh, I'm excited to have you all here today. Yeah, we're glad to be here, man. Absolutely. It is the stellar team. <laughs> it is. It is. So why don't we talk a little bit about what is coming up for you guys. Um, you are all, uh, I feel like whenever there's a project announced, at least one, if not all of you, are attached to it these days. Um, so uh, why don't we talk a little bit about what you've got going, and uh, do you guys want to start with kind of what's going on for yourselves as the Four Horsemen uh, with the blog and your Four Horsemen Presents line? Yeah, I can, I can take that. Uh, we just finished up Mythic Month, so it was all about uh, Mythic products. And on the blog, we were talking a lot about uh, the ideas that go into Mythic play. So uh, playing a Mythic hero versus creating a Mythic villain, uh, how to craft a Mythic monster. And all of our products were uh, very much geared in that sort of direction. So we had like Mythic magic items, 
uh, an expansion on the idea of mythic magic. So uh, a lot of optional rules uh, for, you know, like using blood rituals to to summon mythic power or uh, creating warding circles to capture outsiders and force them to do your bidding. And there's uh, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, <it's- laughs> uh, then we just uh, we have uh, mythic archetypes, which kind of ran from the idea of your source of mythic power uh, was just kind of this offhanded thing uh, that didn't really have any definition in the mechanics. So, you know, whether you were uh, you got your mythic abilities because the the blood gods artifact exploded in your face, you were you ended up with the same basic mythic abilities as if you were the son of a holy paladin god. And that just uh, that never really jived well with me. So I, I decided to, to create uh, mythic archetypes, which allow you to trade out uh, those base, base mythic abilities like hard to kill and uh, immortality to gain some more uh, uh, thematic abilities for your your, uh, your mythic character. And then Tim created a, a great uh, occult mythic path because there wasn't really like a, a good mythic path just for the occult classes. And I think that turned out absolutely beautifully. So that's that's closing out Mythic Month. We're going now into Hybrid Classes Month, which we're really excited about. So on the blog, we're going to be doing a lot of discussion of uh, class design and the thoughts that go into creating classes. And each week, we're going to be putting out a brand new uh, hybrid class, uh, starting with the Renegade, who is a rogue gunslinger in the style of like Han Solo. Uh, and then after that's going to be the Fury, who's like a monk barbarian who uh, gains focus from from her rage. And then after that, Steve wrote this uh, an anti paladin bard called the Blasphemer, which is just absolutely fantastic. All about using like the dark words uh, created by the the most evil beings in the universe to to summon forth uh, power and curse their enemies. And and Tim. Tim blew it out of the park with the Shifu, which is a kineticist monk. <laughs> like it's, it, it's, this thing is fantastic. It's one of, it's one of the best classes I've seen in a long time. And, and I really, really want to play it at the first opportunity. Oh, nice. Tim, tell us a little bit about this kineticist monk. I guess after I did the transcendentalist thing for the mythic thing, I really got into the occult classes. And uh, the kineticist is really interesting because it uses, well, Kinetics, which I, I kind of like because I'm a science teacher as well. But what I did is I took those powers and I instead of having like a ranged attack, like a blast attack, I put it into the monk's fists. So they have like these kinetic fist type things. And it's just a lot of different options with, uh, with what you can do with those kind of things. So a lot of different kind of combat options so you can really customize out the wazoo. I like that. I like that a lot. That sounds really, both, really cool. Both the monk and the kinesis are kind of classes that do that anyway. Mm-hmm. So basically you're just kind of scrambling both the abilities. And um, I got rid of the burn for the kineticist and I just mixed it with... That was a smart move. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the burn's an interesting concept, but I think Mongoose did a lot of that back in the day. They did a lot of, we'll give you something cool if you pay for it by, by suffering. <laughs> it's an interesting concept at first, but I think after a while it gets really it, it gets old. After a while, it gets frustrating, and I think if you had like one or two special powers that you did that with, like you had a feat that allowed you to do that once in a while, it's a neat trick. But if it's your entire class is like trying to budget whether you're going to run out of gas, you know, it, it, it gets right. you. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, that sounds really... I mean, all of those... Anti-Paladin Bard, you guys? Come on. Come on. Han Solo. You had me at Han Solo. Uh, It's amazing. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really fun month. Yeah. I'd kind of like to keep doing it. I mean, Stephen put up something great about doing like a a barbarian witch headhunter thing, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, these blended classes. I, well, I think hybrid hybrid classes are great because you, you just get a concept in your head just by randomly pairing any two classes together. I mean, like someone just says barbarian witch and suddenly you're like ready to go with an entire class. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, you know, what's really cool is uh, you could even do that with multiple uh, the same sets of classes. You could conceivably come up with multiple kinds like uh, you've got a. What was the other one? A druid alchemist. I wanted to call a venom. Yeah, that was yeah. other concepts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's power gaming, basically. It's power gaming. For people. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. But you could have a you could have a half a dozen druid uh, alchemist com- combinations of some kind. Uh, you know, a guy who specifically devotes himself to transform, giving himself lycanthropy, and make it all about wild shape in some way. I mean, yeah, you, could, go you could have classes of focus on different things. Yeah, yeah. See, it's a perfect mutagen. Uh, so as a result, you know, you could really have, we could publish a book, I'm sure between the four of us of hybrid classes and only pick two classes to combine and have six different hybrid classes. <laughs> of the two classes. Yeah. Oh, two abs- classes. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. That is, uh, I can't wait for hybrid class month, you guys. Uh, wait, so I'm going to retract that statement because I don't know how many anti-paladin bards you could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I got that. <laughs> yeah, I right. think you nailed it. Uh, so then moving on into into March, we're planning for Fun for All Ages Month, uh, which is going to be a concentration uh, on how to – on the blog, we're going to be talking largely about how to uh, write and design adventures for various age groups. So, you know, how to write for children if, you're, if you want to write for children or run it for, for your kids. Uh, how to write for teens, how to write for uh, uh, adults, and how, how to do like mature storytelling. And then our products are going to be uh, – the, the first uh, week's product is going to be Under the Bed. It's a book of uh, children's monsters. Uh, monster, because, you know, all the B series are, are monsters that are written specifically to be terrifying and, and gory and, and compelling to adults. But you don't really want to throw a morgue at a bunch of seven-year-olds because it might not it might, it might not go over the best. So so you know it's a book it's a book with specific uh, templates that you can add on to existing monsters or monsters that are more geared with uh, some comedic element or some uh, solution built into them that doesn't necessarily involve hitting them until they die. And then the rest of the products for that month are going to focus on how to play uh, characters uh, character options at various age groups. So uh, playing a young character versus playing an old character or a venerable character. So I think that's going to uh, I think that's going to be a, a really interesting take on it because it's kind of the base assumption that everyone's just an adult. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot because I I feel like you know over the years I've played in many games where someone has had a character concept for someone who is you know extremely old or yeah. very young, <laughs> and it'll be fun to to see that you know. Kind of inspired by Valhalla Acres from Gen Con a couple of years ago. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that was that was a fantastic time. Uh, Dan, Dan, you want to talk more about that? Oh, that time. was uh, God. That was that was just sort of an after hours Gen Con game that was run by Dan Clark. Is that right? Yeah, yeah the reigning Iron GM champion. 
Yep, and uh, and it was it, the, the title of it was Valhalla Acres, and the idea was it was an adventure retirement community set on you know an outer plane pocket <laughs> So everybody everybody was what level twenty max mythic max mythic tier, but extremely old. <laughs> right, and so you had people who who had dementia; they didn't remember what eon it was or where they were or what they were doing you had people who were just stone deaf <laughs> you know all <laughs> kinds of all kinds of crazy crazy things um i mean we had liches who just kind of gave up on the concept of good evil life death they didn't care anymore you know <laughs> we had a uh, one lich that uh was senile and couldn't remember where he stole and hid the other liches for that degree. <laughs> I was the forgetful lich. Steve was the one who lost his blackery. <laughs> uh, I love that. That is, uh, it sounds like everybody was kind of like a Don Quixote style, yes. you know. Very much yeah, so. Very true. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. So you guys uh, have that going on. And uh, what about the Four Horsemen Presents line? Oh, that's uh, that's a lot of the products that we're going to be putting out for the horse, Four Horsemen Present line. So uh, we try to pair it along uh, the blog with the uh, products. Totally. So like like uh, hybrid classes, uh, we're, uh, on the blog we'll be talking about uh, class design while we'll be putting out classes every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fun for All Ages Month, we'll be talking about how to uh, design for, for people of all ages while we're prov- pro- providing uh, character options to play characters of all ages. Which is, I mean, it's nuts. The amount of, the volume of work you put out just on your blog and through these lines is incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's sizable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're later we're going to go around the table and we'll talk uh, to each of you about what you're sort of doing individually. Um, and that is also an insane amount of work. I have no idea how you gentlemen manage all of this. <laughs> Insomnia, mostly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what your your February and March look like. Um, You also have a Kickstarter. I know we don't have an exact date on this yet, but we're talking about the uh, Talented Bestiary. Yep, in spring. Yep. We're going to do that. The Talented Bestiary comes from Rogue Genius Games. And we've talked about it before, uh, James, that uh, uh, there is a Talented class line of products from Rogue Genius, which uh, Stephen Rowe has just started taking over after uh, he knocked one out of the park uh, this month. And the idea was that you would take out all of the assumptions and all the mechanics from all the classes and archetypes related to one class. So if you're going to do the talented ranger, you know, you break down the assumptions. Does a ranger have to have, does he have to be a tracker? Does he have to have an animal companion? Does he have to have favorite enemies? Or can all those be features of an expanded ranger class that you just play the one class and you sort of create your own archetype? Along uh, along the way, fans started asking Owen if he would get somebody to produce a talented bestiary where you could then break down the assumptions about creature type and creature roles and then have something that you could kind of build creatures from the ground up. And so he asked us to look into that, and we deliberated for a while. Uh, and then Steve Rowe vanished into a hole for about 30 days. <laughs> uh, he went into the Matrix, and you know how in the Matrix, Neo starts to see reality in terms of numbers and letters, and he's watching the programming? <laughs> Steve Rowe sees game design much in those terms. Nice. Nice. Uh, sort of. He's the one. <laughs> he's the one. It's, that's nice. exactly true. He is the one. So, I start blushing when Steve talks about me like this. He he broke, uh, he broke down creature design and discovered some anomalies that have existed in the game for, for decades uh, and 
and created the system that we chose to use for the talented bestiary. And what that is, is it's a way that you can choose a specific role for your creature and the abilities you want to, to highlight during a combat. Mm-hmm. But you don't get what I call pit fiend syndrome, where you've got a creature that's a CR 20 and it has so many abilities that will never be able to use all of them before it gets killed <laughs> or wipes out the entire party. Right. So you don't, you don't end up with that as much with the talented bestiary system. And you can create our, our literal goal going in was, I mean, this is a huge order for Steve Rowe, but he took it, uh, was literally create anything from the ground up that you want. Uh, you just start with, this is the idea that I have. And then we put together a system where it crunches the base statistics, the basic uh, sort of chassis of the monster. And then you choose its creature abilities. And one and one of the other goals was it has to be fast. So once you learn to do it and work with the system a couple of times, it actually gets scary fast to create a high CR creature uh, and put it together. Especially if you don't have to write, edit, and develop its fluff text. Right. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> The bestiary itself has almost every creature in the original Pathfinder bestiary. Uh, uh, we weeded out things that are like zero hit die creatures. You don't. We, you've got. We've already got an advanced uh, race guide. The game does, so we, we don't need to do those. So anything that has hit dice, almost everything in there that has hit dice, we've created a new version of using the system, and then of course present the system itself so the players can take it and create their own thing. And what's really amazing is it's useful both for GMs and for players because if you want to take a two or three hit die class. Uh, that's known for they're they're known to be warriors. Well, then you give them like the warrior sort of chassis to build on. Give them some abilities, spending their points, and now you have a race of people that you can build class levels on top of. So it's a fantastic yeah, it, use for the entire party. Yeah, it did definitely apply itself well to creating uh, monster classes, which I which I know was something that I really enjoyed out of three point five. Um, right. Where you know I playing I, like I played a Rakshasa and a Ravenloft game, and and it was a lot of fun getting to, to go through that entire range of development and the system ended up like just because of its nature, lending itself really well to that. Super cool. <laughs> uh, I really uh, love being able to, um, you know, build, build a monster quickly and easily. Uh, and it sounds like you guys have developed a way to do that for Pathfinder, which is awesome. <laughs> Involved a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, is why, which is why Steve Rowe was the only person who could do it all. Uh, so, so we put together a bunch of these creatures. They're done. The major writing for the whole thing is done. What we'll do now is we'll start putting together stretch goals for the Kickstarter, and we'll do it sometime in spring. Uh, but we want to get the word out because we think this will be a special thing that it doesn't matter. As long as you're playing Pathfinder uh, or even just 3.5, the system will work for you, whether you're a player or a GM. And it will allow you – We get I, I answer questions, a lot of rules questions. Uh, I do the Ask Famine column for the Open Gaming Newsletter, and I also try to answer a lot of questions on, on Facebook. You, when superstar, you do designing for the rules team. You want to answer questions so that people get them right. An overwhelming, constantly applying question is, what do I do about this creature, this creature type, this encounter type? Uh, because I'm already limited, right? Does a dragon have to have this? Has anybody ever made a different kind of dragon that doesn't, isn't related to an elemental type or isn't related to uh, like cosmic concepts like the other planar dragons? And this system allows anybody to take any base idea that they have and create any creature they want uh, even if it's super bizarre and do so, you know, in a way that's really cool and it sound mechanically and you're still playing with Pathfinder rules. And you can really customize monsters too. So like if you need like a, a big epic villain who isn't quite like other dragons, then you can, you can take off some abilities. You can add some more on. Um, okay. it, it's, it's got a, it's got a very uh, thoroughly play tested uh, ability point system. So, and with everything broken down uh, into points, so you can, you can, 
it, it makes it much easier to uh, take a monster and reduce its CR or increase its CR or switch out its abilities or, or just make those little tweaks that uh, add a lot to an encounter. And I think you just hit an important point. Thoroughly playtested. We've built <laughs> literally hundreds of monsters. Yeah, hundreds of monsters using this system. We have put together, we've run them through numbers, we've put them through paces. They work for the given CR they're supposed to work for. So okay. it, this is uh, this is not a light undertaking. And, and, and all those monsters are in the book, too. Um, yeah, yeah, they are in the book. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I think challenge rating is a thing that a lot of systems have trouble with, particularly at, at higher levels. Things, you know, can tend to break down. Um, so it, it is this proven sort of across the board in Pathfinder? Like, hey, you, you're going to get us – if your party is this level and you build something according to these rules, it is going to be that challenge for your party. Yeah, it's uh, going to work – uh, according to the CR system in the Pathfinder bestiary where it teaches you how to design creatures of CR, it works really well with that system. Uh, like the rest of Pathfinder, at really high levels, it does become difficult uh, to gauge balance Sure, because everything is so incredibly powerful. Um, one one issue that we had uh, in the with the math is that whenever you start changing creatures' size, uh, things get really out of whack quickly in terms of its strength and cost. Uh, and so you can have creatures that have incredible numbers of hit points and a really high fort save. Uh, and incredibly high save DCs for their poison or other abilities, but they don't necessarily have the strength in combat to hit the way the chart says they're supposed to. So we had to work with that a little bit uh, to create a system that works the same way every time. Totally. And I do think, you know, there's just no accounting for, you know, what spell the wizard might have prepared that day at oh, higher sure. level. You know, exactly, exactly. There's always going to be variance in what sort of challenge a monster uh presents based on how you present it and who you're presenting it to. So just, you know, bear that in mind, but with that in mind, it, it works. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Well, uh, thank you for putting all of the work in and, uh, breaking the system, uh, so that people can rebuild their own monsters. That is. Sounds... No, hey, thank you for buying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, uh, you know, to, to take it to the other end of the spectrum, um, you guys are working on this project called Playground Adventures. Dan talked about this a little bit when he was on the Gamer to Gamer podcast. Um, you know, this is essentially Pathfinder and 5th edition D&D for kids. Yeah, and uh, uh, we're, we're also working with the Hero Kid system, too. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Uh, it's a very simple, streamlined system. Uh, it, very, very basic for, for getting kind of like a, like a starter system for kids before we start throwing Pathfinder at them. You know, <laughs> a gateway system for the youngsters. Yeah, I didn't want to use that word exactly, but yes. I'll use it. <laughs> yeah. And is that, so that's, uh, you know, the, the hero system is a little Pathfinder light, you would say? Uh, man, it, it, it almost isn't even remotely close to Pathfinder. You, you kind of just have a few different attributes like, uh, magic is an attribute that you have, which also represents your intelligence. So, it, it, and then you you don't really have like skills so much as uh, just rolling a few dice and having things resolve themselves out. It, it's it's much more focused on story with with a much lighter mechanic side of things, which kind of just helps you uh, introduce basic concepts like initiative. Uh, and, you know, going in whatever order based off of how high you rolled. Let me uh, let me ask you a, a very serious uh, question that relates to my own personal interest. Is it good for also perhaps uh, 
you know, adult women who may or may not be my fiance, who I've been trying to get to play role playing games for a while. Like, is it is it a good introduction for adults as well? Yeah, you know, my my own personal experience. Uh, my, I, I tried to get my wife involved in Pathfinder, and I, I think throwing Pathfinder right away was maybe a little too intimidating. Uh, so it might almost be good to start with a, a more story based system, just to kind of introduce the concepts of. Uh, role playing uh, uh, a role uh, or a character. Uh, my my wife does a lot of uh, acting and musicals, so she's used to having lines. So that was more of an adjustment. But once uh, once you kind of give that concept across, I think that you can then start uh, involving all the depth that exists in a game like Pathfinder to complement the story that you want to tell. Nice, nice. Well, wow, that's weird. My fiance is a musical theater major. Oh, uh, so was, yeah. yeah, my mind's a music teacher. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, so, and Dan, you're working on the fifth edition conversions of Playground Adventures, right? I am. Yeah. Well, at least on uh, on on the first one, the uh, Pixies on Parade uh, adventure that that Pestilence wrote. Um, and this is it's fun. Uh, it's fun to take this kind of whimsical fairy tale involving kids who have to become unlikely heroes to save the day when the Nightmare King <laughs> rises <laughs> up and, and starts making trouble for the town. Um, it, it's cool trying to uh, twist game mechanics into a way that is accessible to younger audiences. Um, fifth edition makes that easier by being very simple at its very core, but there's still a lot of, you know, addition going to be involved in it. So it, it's fun trying to massage things such that um, description and, and how the kids say they want to approach a problem becomes maybe more important than what die they roll. So do, are you sort of building your own D&D for kids system too while you're doing this? No, I'm not I'm not quite going that that direction with it. Um th that's something that we could look into, but I'm also trying to keep it accessible to uh to older gamers as well. It, it's it's a fun line to try and walk and it's a little challenging at times, but uh, <laughs> but it's cool. I should uh James I should point out that uh, I want to make sure that we recognize her uh, Playground Adventures doesn't belong to the Four Horsemen. We no, are no. fortunate. We are fortunate enough to work with BJ Hensley, who owns the concept and has started it from the ground up, and uh, has a lot of other people working for it too. And uh, she's a good friend of us. She, we affectionately refer to her as our Herald because she built our website and helps us with some marketing stuff. Uh, she's fantastic whenever it comes to Kickstarters and that sort of stuff. But she owns Playground Adventures. The whole thing is her conception, and we're just really blessed uh, that she trusts us enough to work with her uh, on the various products that she has in plan. Well, and she has every right to trust you guys because you're all amazing designers. And she is also, Aww. this is a genius concept. So uh, definitely a huge shout out to her. Uh, speaking of the genius designers you are, I, I, we should go around the table and talk about all of the various individual projects and stuff you guys are working on at the moment. Uh, Stephen Heltz, why don't we start with you? Uh, well, uh, so uh, we just finished up getting, we're doing the marketing stuff now for the Advanced Races Compendium. It comes also with a smaller book associated with it called the Character Codex, uh, where I handpicked some designers and we built some NPCs based on the races. Uh, that's all available now if you want to go find it at RPG Now or at Cobalt Press. I think it's actually on sale at RPG Now, so you can go get it for cheaper. Um, I am I was blessed enough to be asked by Legendary Games to write the fifth adventure in uh, the Legendary Planet Adventure Pack. So I'm writing Depths of Desperation, which is an uh, is an ocean. It is not even an undersea adventure. It is an ocean bottom adventure. 
full of uh, giant combats and tough choices and some intrigue uh, and politics. And uh, it's a, it is a big, beefy, meaty adventure with big, big bad guys. Uh, and then I get to, I get to segue that from adventure, which we'll talk about in a second, from my adventure to Tim's adventure, uh, which uh, is the next one after mine in the line. Uh, I will be working with Cobalt Press on uh, can I announce? Can I announce that we're doing some stuff with some very special stuff, running some games for PaizoCon. Uh, and then in the next uh, six weeks, I'm writing the or doing the core outlines, at least for the adventures for the second Four Horsemen Open. Uh, so if you're planning to go to Gen Con and you're hearing this, get your tickets for the Four Horsemen Open. Put your team of five players together and get ready to come. Uh, probably get TPK'd, but have a lot of fun in the process. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll all four be there. That did happen. That did, in fact, happen. Uh, the Four Horsemen Open is fantastic because we use celebrity GMs. You will get a person that we know can run a good table, that we know understands the adventure, that we ourselves wrote, so we get total control of all those details. Uh, we write the uh, player characters, so you don't have to provide player characters, but we promise they will be interesting and have fantastic backgrounds. I, I dare say, and it's it's not to my credit because Stephen Rowe wrote them, uh, the <laughs> pre-gen characters for the first Four Horsemen Open are the best pre-generated character party I've ever seen in any organized event where the characters are already provided for you. I just oh, think thank you, Steve. They were fantastic <laughs> stories. Uh, they had fantastic motivations, and the, te- the accounts took their motivations and history into account. So uh, it was fantastic. But it is a competitive tournament. We will literally kill all of your characters. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we will not say we are sorry. Uh, but uh, it's a lot of fun. We'll make sure that you have fun and get your, your money's worth for your ticket. You can advance and get some fantastic prize support. You win some prize support for, just for being there for the first round. Uh, our publishing partners are great friends of ours all, and uh, they have been very supportive of the tournament in its first year. And the second year, we will expand and have more players, more teams, more tables, more GMs, and more prizes. I love that it was these characters are beautiful, they are amazing, but they will die. If you make the final round and you get me, they'll die. I don't know what these other guys were doing. They didn't, they hardly <laughs> it's, as a writer, it's all about killing your children. <laughs> like you have to, you have to create these things that you love, <laughs> and, and, right. then, and then do horrible things. <laughs> and uh, Tim Hitchcock, we haven't heard from you in a little while. Tim, what do you have going on uh, right now? Um, I'm working on the Legendary Games uh, AP right now, so I'm doing the Planet After Stevens, which is, they gave me a planet, and they said, could you just have a planet with a whole bunch of moons, so could you populate a whole bunch of moons as well? So I've been very hard at work making, like, five different worlds for this ridiculous adventure. Writing a solar system. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. It's very fun. a lot of different things, and I somehow have to tie it all together, so... You know, if you want five different worlds to seem like five different real worlds, you have to populate it with like five different species and you know major species and things like that. So it's it's a it's a handful, but uh, it should be pretty interesting. I hope. Yeah, I imagine that could get out of hand pretty quickly. So I imagine <laughs> in your part of that adventure path, people are jumping between all of these different moons. They're going to be bouncing between different moons, and they're at war with each other, and then there's the the, the at the end of it, they, there's like I don't even want to say what it is because there's like a secret surprise that I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep secret. But there's something that ties it all together, which you're jumping between that and the next thing, and then uh, you know, and then on to the final adventure. So, no, oh, can't wait. It's ridiculously high level, so it's you know everything. Like, <laughs> it's just you know I think you started at 
I forget. I think it's like 16th or 17th level. So I think yours starts at 17 because that's where I'm supposed to end. Yeah, I, I, mine goes all the way up to like 19th or 20th or something crazy like that. So it's all really wow. high stuff. You know, so there's these giant stat blocks, and you know, and yet you have to have all the five worlds populated with all these stat blocks in the way that each yeah. space. I can't so, wait. I love, you know, just the, the first few adventures that have come out of that path have been... Yeah, mine's supposed to have, like, an army battle, too. So, I mean, it's like, <laughs> extra rules on top. Are you just writing a separate adventure path that takes place in the same world? <laughs> just just on the moon? It's in my head. The, the, order for, yeah, the order for those adventures is... won't resemble what I'm talking about at all. I'll be like, oh, you go to this planet and you're done. <laughs> 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 see what makes it to the chopping block. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much what I've been working on. And it's uh, I just finished up um, for O One Games. I've been working on their Great City stuff for years and years and years. And I just put out a new book for them with uh, a bunch of other people I was working with. And hopefully that'll get edited, and be done by this summer, which would be fantastic because that's about two years in the making. And just clearing my plate at this point. Oh wow! Congratulations! That is huge. Yeah. yeah well. <laughs> it's nice to go away. It's kind of nice to not not have much projects at this point. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure the Four Horsemen will definitely keep you busy. Yeah, every week it's like, hey, you know, you have a deadline. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> and I forgot I had a deadline. <laughs> yeah, those oh, those yeah, weekly right. products. <laughs> Uh, so, and of course, Dan Dillon, uh, you are being kept very busy by the Four Horsemen and by this uh, legendary planet adventure path as well. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a bit to do. Uh, whenever a new manuscript hits on that, that's that's basically my dance card for a while. Um, there's a, there's an awful lot to uh, to have to tweak and figure out and decide what to keep, what to, you know, find an analog for what to design in five E whole cloth, because, you know, a technology guide doesn't exist for fifth <laughs> edition yet. Right. right. Uh, there, there's just, there's just such a breadth of material available for Pathfinder and legendary is pulling from horizon to horizon on it. Right. And so it, it's, it's interesting to decide, all right, this thing decides a full, uh, you know, up conversion of whatever this crazy piece of work is versus, you know, I can use something out of the monster manual and maybe tweak it a little bit and make it work. So that's uh, th that's a fun challenge. Nice. And uh, Legendary Planet really brings it. So I'm looking forward to those next installments and figuring out how to how to make it work. I was going to say, Legendary Planet brings it from one horizon to another horizon on a different world. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Mine starts on the desert. Right? right. Awesome. Psionics. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be clear, James, my adventure doesn't actually have a horizon. Oh, really? Yeah. It's yeah. underwater. Yeah, if you see the if you see the horizon of my adventure, you have screwed up really bad. Planet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan, are you the are you like the only person doing those fifth edition conversions? Oh, like on the four horsemen? Yes. In the world? No, certainly not. <laughs> um, uh, legendary, legendary has a pretty sizable five E team. Um, most of them are working on legendary games other backlog of stuff. Like, uh, I know you talked to rich Howard quite a bit. Uh, I think he's, he's been working with legendary games. Uh, he did, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the title that he worked on, but I think he worked on one of the bestiaries, one of their, uh, one of their smaller bestiaries. Um, 
and you know uh, Al Riggs, uh, Alistair Riggs is is working with them, and several other names are coming through. They're building up a five E team and really starting to to churn out five uh, E versions of their pretty impressive library of products. Um, as far as Legendary Planet goes, I've been the only one on that so far. Right. Yeah, uh, and, and that's and, and what that I is, meant. That is that is likely to expand. But right. Right. Currently, currently, it's still all me. <laughs> uh, and what else are you working on? Because uh, we know that that's not it. Yeah. Uh, well, as we mentioned before, uh, doing finishing up the Pixies on Parade for Playground Adventures. That's going to be that's going to be a good time. Um, I also just recently turned in uh, a manuscript to Cobalt Press, and I mentioned this the last time I was on. I can actually tell you about it a little bit oh, more. Uh, it's called Unlikely Heroes, and it's in the same vein as the Southlands Heroes and the Midgard Heroes products they've put out. So it's going to involve uh, PC race stats for some familiar faces like Darrow and Sahagan and uh, some other critters like that, as well as some maybe unfamiliar faces that originated in the Midgard and Southlands campaign settings. So um, they're getting a fifth edition treatment, full PC compatibility, um, racial traits, uh, as well as some uh, background material, both fully realized new backgrounds with uh, full sets of traits, new features, as well as some variant features for some existing backgrounds. Uh, from the player's handbook. And the whole idea of these is that heroes come from all walks of life, not just, you know, the village farmer who has a great destiny, right? Maybe that crazed Darrow uh, decides that the rest of his race is just too crazy and he needs to go seek his fortunes elsewhere and in the course of adventuring happens to to stumble upon being a hero and you can play that guy. That's cool. I like yeah. that a lot. So there are uh, there are eight full uh, player character races in there with traits, with uh, background lore, and with some expanded lore sections based on uh, feedback from uh, consumers and, and some other community comments on the previous Heroes lines. Uh, the lore has been beefed up in this one, so there's, there's a good bit more description for each of the races, um, as well as some things that people felt were missing, like the height and weight, and you know, little, little stuff just to, little quality of life improvements to help you zip through mixing your guy up if you don't want to, you know, arbitrarily pick absolutely everything about them. Nice. I really like that. Uh, I love the whole idea, too. I feel like just the title is going to draw people to the product. Of I hope so. I hope so. It's really fun to work on. Uh, and I know it's going to look gorgeous because I don't think Cobalt Press knows how to do anything else. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, I have I have some other irons in the fire for Cobalt. Um, those I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but that's going to be exciting. Um, those are smaller projects that are going to hopefully stick together into some really exciting uh, character options, and even some you know world building and lore background options that'll tie in all over the place. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to when I can talk about that, but that's that's the the big cobalt told me no. So, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, when you're ready, you know where you can come talk about it. Absolutely. So, <laughs> uh, so we've also mentioned the fairy ring. Um, mm -hmm. I'm getting to work on that, which is just incredible. I mean that that project is is looking really fun, and uh, so I'm working on uh, currently doing fifth edition conversions for some of the fey nobility. Um, who are going to populate that world and that setting, uh, as well as the minions and the PC races and racial options and uh, background options that are going to go along with it, kind of attached to each of those Fey Lords 
I mean, you, you've got some big names working on that one too, like Sean Merwin. I think we people have heard of him. He's he's working on that one as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, the big Kobold is working one chapter. He is. He yeah. is. He is indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that there are a ton of people tied to that. So, um, including Sean Merwin, the kindest human being in gaming, uh, and uh, and some other really really great people. So, including yes, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> we should celebrate this. Dan Dillon also has recently turned over his first official work for Paizo, which we can't talk I about. Have, oh, oh, I haven't. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. Sort of, uh, it, you know, that one's. Yeah, I'm not allowed to talk about that until it's not on the schedule yet. So, uh, unfortunately, I can't go into it. But yeah, that was exciting. As I got, uh, I got invited to contribute to a to a core Paizo product, and that is uh, that is turned in, and hopefully we'll see that in the fall. I think. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Well, that is really, really cool, and a great tease for everybody out there. So, um, congratulations. Sure, and once I can, you know, plug it, I will. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, Stephen Rowe, uh, <laughs> I almost hesitate to ask cause I don't know if there are enough hours in the day. Um, <laughs> what is it, uh, that you are working on right now? Oh, buckle up. <laughs> well, I, I, I do a lot of work. Just, just for a quick preface. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It takes longer to describe Rose products like for us than it does for him to write them. <laughs> Well, I try to I try to work ahead on the four horsemen products, um, especially since I'm uh, I'm expecting a child at the end of April, so it's going to probably hit my productivity really hard. Uh, so I'm just trying to get out ahead of things, but there's a lot of exciting things uh, from the four horsemen that I've I've got in the works. Uh, hybrid class month, fun for all ages. We've got some uh, cool apocalypse themed products. We've got some April Fools ideas for products. Uh, so I do a lot of the, I guess, project management level work for the four horsemen. So making sure uh, deadlines are met, uh, things are reviewed and turned over. Uh, so that eats up a big uh, chunk of my time uh, on most months just because it, with weekly product turnovers and weekly blogs, it's, uh, it can be a bear to kind of stay ahead of all that. Uh, but you know, when I'm, when I'm not doing that, I've got a, a lot of work for playground adventures that BJ Hensley likes to just throw at me. Uh, so, I mean, Pixies on Parade was, was a surprising hit. Uh, it, it was written for children, but adults seem to love it just as much. Uh, and so I've been asked to do like a couple of sequels for Pixies, uh, that I'm like halfway through, uh, I wrote a expansion of the town that's featured in Pixies that, uh, is, published now and available. Uh, she's having me write an entire uh, kind of player's game mastery guide for children, which will include all sorts of cool stuff like uh, new base classes specifically written for kids. So it'll kind of pare down on the options, but up the cool factor. Uh, so like a, like a, there's a superhero class. So if you just want to play, like if a kid wants to play uh, a guy who flies around punching monsters, that's totally doable. Who doesn't? Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and who doesn't? <laughs> like, like you, you introduce that concept to a ten-year-old, they're probably going to jump on it. Uh, so, <laughs> but then it'll also include like a lot of uh, archetypes and feats, and, and uh, like kind of kind of feat trees to take uh, you know the the myriad feat options out there and kind of boil it down to to a few uh, more specific options, archetypes, the kind of pare down options on classes, because you know. Uh, with kids, you don't want to say, here are these you know, four dozen things, pick the two that you want. It's, it's more like, here are your three choices, mm -hmm. you know, pick, pick from that smaller group. And it, it 
just to kind of save time and streamline things. Um, so a lot of exciting work with, with Playground Adventures in the future. Uh, and and I, I just really love doing that work. And, and BJ is just wonderful to work with and, and the best editor anyone could ask for. Uh, beyond that and, you know, what's just going to take up the vast majority of my time for the foreseeable future uh, Steve was kind enough to like Owen was looking, uh, Owen Stevens is looking for someone to do the talented line or to help out with the talented line. And Steve, Steve threw my name out there. Uh, so I whipped together the talented witch in like a month and, uh, and then the, you know, the extra talent. So it, like two books turned them over, impressed him so much. He was basically like, so when do you want to get started on the other talented books? And so uh, basically doing all of the classes in the, in the, all the base classes in Pathfinder and just starting alphabetically. So currently I'm working on cleric and I'll be then moving on to Druid and just kind of working my way from there. Uh, and, and each of those books is just, it, it's a, it's a massive amount of effort to comb every resource for every archetype subdomain uh, class feature that exists for any individual class, bring all that together, not only from like official Paizo resources, but third party resources to try to make them all work into a cohesive whole. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, come up with an entirely new book of options that aren't already covered in that first book. So <laughs> there's the rub. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be a lot of work. And I guess I'm going to be trying to do like uh, a talented class and then a more uh, like the, the follow-up book, like one of those every three to four weeks for the foreseeable future until I get through them all. Wait, so, uh, <laughs> and when is your baby due? Yeah, end of April. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. That that came out when uh when uh you know deadlines were being discussed. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was sure to stress that you know probably probably sometime around the end of April, I'm, I'm my my productivity is going to dip a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and then stay that way for eighteen years. Uh, yes, <laughs> but uh, you know the. Uh, uh, getting him those, you know, recommending him for those gigs is really a selfish move on my part. I'm turns out the developer for that line, and I just didn't want to do any work on it. So I decided, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just thought I would get Steve Rowe. If Pestilence can just rock these out, and I can just read them and put my thumbprint on them, then we're good to go. Excellent, excellent. Well, it has been a pleasure hanging with all four of the horsemen. Uh, it is not at all the apocalypse I expected, um, <laughs> and I'd just like to. Quickly, before we go, uh, go around the table and uh, see where can people find you, uh, you know, on the Internet if they want to reach out and talk to you. And uh, Stephen Hill, let's start with you. You can give the shout out to all of the Four Horsemen official pages as well as your personal stuff. Well, the, uh, uh, per the official stuff is uh, our Facebook page uh, on Facebook, which is the Four Horsemen. Uh, you can see our logo there, the red background with the different uh, buttons. Uh, we also have a website at fourhorsemanofficial.com, uh, and go there. You always see blog and product reviews for the stuff that we put out jointly, uh, as well as lists of products that we work on individually. So when the, you know Paizo releases something, we'll put a link to the Paizo store for the thing that we've worked on uh, that's on there. Uh, and then uh, we have a Twitter, uh, which I uh, I think I said last time I stuck at it. Uh, I still suck at it, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm working on being better at Twitter. Uh, but we have a Twitter, which is uh, uh, FH Official, uh, and 
my only my only individual page is my Facebook page, Stephen T. Helt, which is my author page. Uh, we link everything with the Full Horseman to that page, and then I put my individual stuff uh, on that page as well. Dan Dillon, where can people find you? Sure, uh, I'm at uh, on Twitter. Only slightly better at Twitter than Steve, working on it. Uh, that is at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. Uh, and then I'm also on the Facebook at uh, just uh, – what, what am I there? I'm just Dan Dylan. Yeah, uh, Daniel.p.dylan. If you look for me, facebook.com slash Daniel.p.dylan. You can find me there as well. Awesome. Awesome. And Stephen Rowe, where can people find you? Uh, everything everybody else has already said, uh, and I'm Stephen Rowe, S-T-P-H-E-N-R-O-W-E at Facebook. Um, I do a lot of maintenance on the website that we have, uh, and I, I think that's about it. Excellent, excellent. And, uh, Tim Hitchcock, where can people find you? Staten Island. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck finding me anyplace else or Brooklyn. Maybe Manhattan once in a while. That's about it. Awesome. I have no web presence whatsoever. <laughs> Send me an email. Maybe that works. But. <laughs> you know, always uh, something on the boards I might see it once in a while. Or somebody will tell me about it and I'll show up and I'll, I'll respond. <laughs> I will point out, uh, to, to bail Tim out, I will point out if you you can send us a line at the Four Horsemen website. You can send messages via the Hire Us or, or Feedback uh, tool on the website. Uh, and if you want to say something specifically to Tim, like curse him out because you played Carnival of Tears and uh, <laughs> you found out that we're eating the townspeople in that pie, then uh, you can uh, send a message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That adventure is like a decade old. So, uh, But send a message to, to uh, our Facebook page or, uh, of course, to our website. And if it's for Tim, we'll make sure he gets it. Excellent. Yeah, I tend to hear things when people are looking for me. It's not hard. <laughs> people tell me, hey, somebody's looking for you, and then, then you know, I find out. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, uh, the four horsemen, uh, Stephen Helton, Stephen Rowe, Dan Dillon, and Tim Hitchcock, thank you very much for coming on the roundtable today. A lot of fun. Thank you. Was our pleasure, man. Thank Thanks for having much. us. All right, so I think that is going to do it for the roundtable this week. Andrew Kane, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Cavalier Kane. That's K-A-V-A-L-I-E-R-K-A-N-E. Awesome, awesome. And Andrew Timmes, where can people find you? Wherever dice are rolling terribly and party dynamics are falling apart. Nowhere <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> uh, and uh, Barak, where can people find you? Uh, actsofgeek.com is where I do some posting and the like, as well as spectrum-games.com. Yes, and people should definitely pick up your latest product from Spectrum Games. You should tell them all about it. It is super, super cool. Uh, well, I, I just, we recently released a game called Retro Star, and... Uh, the goal of the game was to uh, create a game that brought you into 1970s sci-fi television shows um, <laughs> with with everything that implies. So uh, I'm pretty proud of it. I think it's a neat game design. It does interesting things. It is certainly not like 5th edition in any way, shape, or form. It is uh, definitely borrowing from sort of the narrative games and is really sort of a game of narrative control. Um and I think it, it does some neat things. And if you think like, wow, I want disco and bell bottoms and space and, and all that stuff, 
this is the game for you. So we had a, I had a lot of fun with it. So, <laughs> I mean, who who hasn't thought that about their weekly game night? Right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can, of course, uh, there's a a big sale going on right now in Spectrum Games. You can pick it up for less than nine bucks. Correct. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Uh, and Dan Dillon, uh, people may have heard this before, but it never hurts to reiterate on a podcast. Uh, where can people find you? Sure, uh, you can find me at Twitter at at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. And I'm at Facebook at, you know, facebook.com slash Daniel dot P dot Dylan. Excellent. Excellent. And of course, at all the other uh, delightful four horsemen places where we mentioned previously in the podcast. Indeed. And before we go, there's a final quick segment we've started doing every week here on the Roundtable. We're highlighting a different DMs Guild product every week to give designers a chance to shine. This week's highlighted DMs product is Adamantine Chef Supreme Challenge by Teos Abadia. Teos is an experienced game designer, and for less than five stinking bucks, you get an amazing, hilarious, high-flying martial arts adventure that even has a pretty cool life lesson at the end. You can drop it into your home game or into any official D&D storyline. He's got tons of tips for how to do that. Merrick Blackman, D&D critic and designer, calls it a brilliant adventure and one well worth investigating. And that is tough praise to get out of Merrick Blackman. What more do you need to know? There's a direct link to Adamantine Chef, Supreme Challenge, over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again to my panelists, Andrew, Andrew, Barrick, and Dan, and to my guests, Stephen, Stephen, Tim, and Dan again. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. I'm talking full adventures, monsters, magic items, backgrounds, all kinds of goodies that you should check out. And it's all free. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable.